This morning, we're starting a series called Hello? Everybody say, turn your neighbor and say, hello? It's me. I've been dreaming. Yeah, I know. You were thinking Adele. I'm thinking Adele, too. That's all right. And, uh, and hello, this series that we're going to be in is all about the, um, trying to hear and learn how to hear God's voice. I think a lot of us um, are maybe frustrated and confused sometimes when it comes to the voice of God. And we all have a lot of questions that surround this issue. And I think largely this topic has been misinterpreted and has been given misinformation um, by a number of church um, circles and theological circles. And I think that this series is going to be great for us to really hone in. How does God speak? Does he speak at all? If so, how do we hear him? How do we position ourselves? And what do we need to do to make sure that we are hearing God's voice? Is it this mystical experience where, you know, we have a vision every single night? Or is it um, the still small voice that we read about in Scripture? What is that? So we're going to be addressing these topics of the voice of God. And the goal in this series is to take this sometimes complicated topic And this sometimes, and I would argue often, frustrating topic um, and confusing topic and make it simple and just cut through the noise and cut through all the things that really we can put on the shelf and just address the basics, address the things that we can immediately apply to our lives. And the goal of this is for all of us by the end of this series to be able to hear God specifically for ourselves in our day-to-day lives. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Cool. Well, uh, then let's jump in. This morning's message is titled Motives and the Voice. Motives and the Voice. And as we prepare, let's quiet our hearts and let's come before our Father in prayer. And let's commit this morning and all we are and even this coming year to the Lord. Some of you may not have maybe dedicated this year to him. You've just been so busy with holidays and and busyness and getting back into school that you just need to take a second and commit 2017 to him. So let's do that right now. Father, as the psalmist says and prays this prayer, would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. God, we're asking you to speak to us this morning. We're asking you by your word to reveal truth. God, we're asking you in this space, in this time that's allotted for us to listen to your word and hear what you have to say to us, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us. God, we confess that this topic of hearing your voice is something we all can do better at. We all can seek more. God, we all can grow in our ability to hear your voice. And so, This morning, in this entire series, and the year of 2017, we give it to you, and we put it in your hands. And as we often do, God, we just take a minute and make space for you, and we sit, and we quiet our hearts, and we sit in the stillness, and we know that you are God. Come, Creator Spirit, and speak through me and speak to each and every one of us, and I pray that you would be pleased 
with everything that we bring to you and everything that we commit our lives to this morning. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said strong, amen, amen. Well, uh, I think we all have that one or two or maybe even three, four, or five shows that we are just addicted to. Um, Some of you may have been crazy into Breaking Bad when it was on TV. Um, Some of you, oh, guilty pleasures, oh, come on, Breaking Bad. Some of you may, uh, may like to go throwback and watch Friends, an oldie but a goodie. Those of you who even like to go more throwback, some Seinfeld, I don't know, some old souls in the house. But, uh... In the Caldwell House, we have three shows that are pretty recurrent. We somehow just keep coming back to these three. And I'm going to give them in ascending order, from three to two, then to one, okay? So, uh, our third favorite show that we play around the Caldwell House is a little show we call Parks and Rec. It's great. It's great. Ron Swanson, I think, is one of the best TV characters ever. Ever. So that's number three. Number two is, of course, The Office, right? And for those of you who are new to young adults, you will very quickly pick up on this because I often use Parks and Rec and The Office as illustrations, which is great, and it's fine, so just embrace it. And if you don't want to, then get out because, you know, you got to love Parks and Rec and The Office around here. Not really. Stay. We love you. But the number one show that me and JC just kind of keep coming back to and, and keep watching over and over again Season after season is the show we call Lost. How many Lost fans do we have in the house? Any Lost junkies? Wow, very few of you. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let me break this down a little bit. In Lost, so the premise of the show basically is this plane crashes on this deserted island, and there are these people called the Others that are like primitive people, we think, and they're attacking you know, the protagonist, the people who crashed, and it's this crazy struggle. And you find out, like, the island can, like, move time, and it's, you know, back in the 70s. I don't know. It's a little weird sometimes. But there's one character in particular that I absolutely love, and his name is Hugo Reyes. He also is called Hurley. And Hurley is about six foot five and 320. I mean, he, he's a big boy, you know? And, he, and it's fun because he trims down over the seasons, and he's just this teddy bear that you just love. You know, he's, he's like, when all the other characters are breaking your heart and lost or dying off, Hurley is the anchor of the series. I mean, he, you, you, you just love him. You know nothing's happening to him. Hurley can't die. Everybody loves Hurley. But Hurley's funny... <laughs> Hurley, I'm glad there's some lost junkies in the house too. Hurley's funny because Hurley kind of has uh, a scarred story in some ways. Everybody has this haunting backstory and this this, uh, hidden thing that they're trying to keep secret and then it eventually comes out and it affects the relationships on the island and it's intense. You should watch it. But Hurley comes from a family who his dad essentially left him in cold blood And they were working on this car together, and they had all these plans to visit the Grand Canyon together, and they were going to do all these things as father and son. And then there's this iconic moment in the series where Hurley's dad gives him a candy bar, and he hops on his motorcycle, and he says he's going to go run some errands, and he takes off, and he leaves, 
leaves, leaves. Like deserts the family, and now Hurley is left, eight years old, trying to pick up the pieces and figure out now what does life look like as a son without a father and living in the home of a single mom, and it's pretty heavy. I said it was funny, but it's not funny at all. It's actually really sad. And so Hurley has this story, and a, you know, a decade or two goes by, and he's living life, and he's kind of coped with the pain of his childhood. And then all of a sudden, overnight, he becomes a multi-millionaire because he wins the lottery. And he plays these random numbers. He wins millions of dollars. And then after a series of events, who shows up on Hurley's front doorstep but his father? His father, the one he had deserted. And this whole time, you're thinking, what is this dude's motive? Like, I, I never really liked this guy when he left Hurley. I mean, he, he kind of broke my heart when that happened. What's his motive right now? And, and we're left asking that question throughout the series because it's never really addressed. We're thinking, okay, is, is he after the money here? Like, did he hear that Hurley won the lottery and he just wants to get in on some of the cash? And that's kind of what's implied, but it's never really addressed. And so the entire series... You're asking the question, why? And you're asking the question, what are his motives? What's he really after here? Is he here for Hurley? Is it just a fluke that he came when Hurley won the money, or is he after something else? And the case of Hurley and his father, I think, shows us in life, in the variety of our situations and circumstances, that motives and the why is actually really, really important. They're important in uh, romantic relationships. They're important in friendships. They're important in occupational pursuits. But I think we see in a series like this where we're trying to figure out what uh, the voice of God sounds like, I think it's incredibly important that we first ask the question, why? And we first delve into the motives of our heart. And before getting to the way that God speaks, first addressing and looking introspectively and trying to figure out why do we want him to speak? Why should we hear his voice? Why do I specifically or you specifically want to hear the voice of God? You know, in a series like this, we can often just want to get down to the methods, right? The brass tacks. Tell me what to do. Tell me how tangibly we're to hear God's voice, and then I'll do it. But first, we need to take a second, we need to pause, and we need to focus on the motives. Because with the voice of God, surprisingly, what our motives are in in wanting to hear the voice of God, and what we desire, and, and, and the why behind it really frames and informs not only um, if we can hear the voice of God, but, but how clear we can hear the voice of God. Because if our motives are off, then I would argue, and we'll quickly see this morning and in the coming weeks, that we might be struggling hearing the voice of God if we have hidden ulterior motives. And so, as we look internally and as we assess our motives and as we ask the question of why we want to hear the voice of God, I want to encourage you, think about your life. Think about your situation, think about where you're at, think about your prayer life and what kind of questions you're asking. And as we walk through this, I want you to really go through the exercise of thinking about your life. And don't think about the person next to you like, oh man, they need to hear this. You ever had those? I've had those. I'm like, God, please speak to them. They really need to hear this, man. But really, all the while, I had some pretty deep stuff that I needed to hear. And so I want to encourage you throughout this series and this morning especially, don't Look to your neighbor and say, dude, you need to hear this. You better pay attention. But look and, and assess the state of your soul and where you're at in your relationship with God. And I believe that in that, the Holy Spirit will speak. 
So let's dig into our motives. Let's see what this is about. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Romans 8, the, arguably the, the most climactic chapter in all of Scripture, talking about Christ's redemptive work, talking about because of Christ what we are now changed into be, what, what our identity looks like now as the people of God. But Romans eight fourteen through 16 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Say that together. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Such an amazing passage. But here the Apostle Paul, in this aged letter of doctrine, the Romans, the, the epistle to the Romans, he, in Romans eight fourteen through 16, gives two relational descriptors that he's kind of framing this language off of. He, he gives the descriptors of slaves, and he gives the descriptor of children. He explains that there's a spirit of slavery and a spirit of adoption or a spirit of sonship. And I think when we read a verse like this, this is probably a very, um, all of us know this passage of Scripture, a very well-known passage that we may have even memorized. But I think when we read this, we can think, oh yeah, Jesus died and now I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the Father. Great. Yeah. Sons of God. Abba Father. Got it. Yeah. Daddy. Okay. Hear it. Let's move on. But I think... The circumstances and the way that we live and the way that we interact with God actually don't treat God, I would argue, as a father and as Abba, but actually as a master and as a slave driver. And I think this language of slavery is so fitting as it relates to uh, the, the topic of hearing God's voice. Because what kind of questions do slaves ask? I'll name a couple. Um, what do you want me to do? That's probably one. What's the work that needs to be done? Um, another one is, what do you want done, right? This is kind of your thing. This is your rodeo. This is your wherever, and I'm here working for you. So what do you want done? Or when that gets done, okay, that's done. Now what do you want me to do? But it's, it's doing. It's, focus, it's asking these questions of, okay, what do you want? Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I want to take a second and recognize that the vast majority of the questions that we ask God, I think, sound hauntingly similar to this. Because what kind of questions do we ask God? God, what do you need me to do? What am I called to do? God, what job should I get? Tell me what to do and I'll do it. What degree should I go for? What relationship should I pursue? Essentially, just download to me your information and I will do it. And it's this... These questions that really have hints of slavery a little bit. And though, yes, the desire may be to fulfill the call of God in your life and to go on and do all these things for him, there's still that, what do you want me to do, and I'll do it. And as young adults, I think we can become obsessed with these questions. Because in our young adult years, we're so focused on crafting our identity and finding out who we really are using Myers-Briggs and using the Enneagram and using Strength Finders and using all these things to say, who am I? How am I wired? How now shall I live in this world around me? So naturally, in that season, it's, it's fitting that we would ask questions of, what am I supposed to do? What is God calling me to do? 
What, what kind of person should I spend my life with? Yeah, what, what should I revolve my life around? What things should I give attention to? What things should I be defined by? And these can dominate and rule our relationship with God if we're not careful. And so when we want and when we seek to hear the voice of God better and when we enter into a series like this, I think it's very important to pause and ask, why? What is your motive? Are you going to God and do you want to hear his voice because he's essentially an ATM? You stick your credit card in, he spits out your calling. You stick your credit card in, he spits out financial stability. You stick your credit card in, you say the right prayer, you do the right thing, and he spits you out that girl of your dreams that you've been interceding for and stalking on Facebook and sending winky emojis to for the last six months. I get it. I get it, people. But we can use God as, God, I want my calling, okay? So give me my calling, and then I'll go back to you. You know, if you, if you really speak to me about my calling, and if you really speak to me about my area of vocation that I'm going to give my life to, well, then I'll, I'll give attention to that, and I probably won't talk to you until I need something else. It's slavery. What do you need me to do? Give me my assignment. Okay, got it. Great. School. Doing it. Psychology degree. Nursing degree. Okay, working, 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 working. Oh, wait. This guy or this girl came along. What do you need me to do? Should I, should I pursue this girl? Should I, like... You know, like, wink to this guy. Should I like show a little shoulder? No, don't do that. What should I do? Okay, got it. And so then you go, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work. Are you using, are we using God as a way uh, and, and to pursue our own desires and to have our own questions asked? So look at the motives. Scripture is explicitly clear that our relationship to God like that is forever over. We're no longer slaves. We no longer simply go to God with one agenda item. What do you need to do? What do you want to say? Okay, great. Got it. Let me do it. You do it. Okay. That assignment's done. What, do you, what would you have me do? What would you say? Boom. Got it. That relationship's over because we're no longer slaves, but we are children of God. Our relationship with God revolves around and, and comprises of way more than just asking God for things or asking God for direction, or asking God for explanation or clarity about these things. But it's a deep and intimate and rich relationship, sonship and daughtership, where we go to the Father, and there is communion, and there is fellowship, and there is encouragement. And it's not just seeking to get answers, but it's seeking God for the sake of Him, for the sake of relationship. And so as we begin to explore this idea of how to hear God's voice, excuse me. The relationship with God and a pursuit of a relationship with God should be the bedrock upon which we seek to hear his voice. It's not, God, let me hear your voice, and then maybe I'll pursue you a little bit, and I'll read my Bible, because after all, I need a little zip in my life, and I I need to make sure that you're there, and then I'll actually pursue you. But it's, God, I'm going after you. And if I don't get an answer for 10 years, and if I stay single for another two, three, four, five, six years— terrible as that may sound, I trust you. I trust that you're going to speak. And it's this relationship that builds the firm foundation upon which we hear the voice of God. Dallas Willard, a well-known theologian and philosopher, used to teach at USC in Southern California. Amazing, amazing communicator, amazing author, amazing theologian. He says it this way, our communion with God provides the appropriate context for communication with him. Our communion, that is the relationship, 
with God, provides the appropriate context for communication with him. In other words, hearing God is not an end in and of itself. I think like we often treat it. Hearing God and being able to hear God is not the holy grail of the Christian life. And it's not something that once we attain, okay, great, badge of honor, I'm holy now, I know God. But it's something that's a means to an end of relationship. It's something that God uses out of relationship to draw us deeper into relationship with him. And it's not to get vocational clarity or direction, and it's not to figure out the kind of person you want to marry, and it's not to figure out any of that, but it's first and foremost and primarily to be about relationship, this intimacy, this deep and rich fellowship that we can share with our creator who we were made for. And the end goal is that relationship. And what's interesting is when we engage in that relationship, the byproduct of that relationship is what? Hearing his voice and getting direction and getting clarity and getting an idea of what he's called you to do and what he's put you on earth to do for a specific purpose. That's kind of a byproduct, but it's not the product. So hearing God first starts with authentic relationship with him. Now, I got a baby boy. I talk about him a lot, do a lot of illustrations with him in it, but my baby boy, Rush Michael, Rush Michael Caldwell, he is so cute, and we love him. He's 16 months old, and he is turning into a little wild man. Um, He was here in our pre-service meeting with the leaders, and he was just running around in the back and, like, jumping on things and all this stuff, and Rush has become um, and developed, I guess, his first obsession, and his first obsession is TV remotes. I don't know. Some kids like dinosaurs, some kids like cars. My kid likes remotes. Great. Okay, I'll accept it. He loves TV remotes. He loves cable remotes. He loves Apple TV. I mean, he, he loves remotes. In fact, this morning, the first thing I brought him in, he books it to the sound booth, he opens a drawer, and he finds two remotes and just starts walking away. I'm like, oh no. That's our projector. We need that, bud. And, uh, and actually, my wife sent me this picture. I want to show you real quick. I'm at work, right? And, and she sends me this. He's just sitting on the table with the Apple TV remote in his hand. He had crawled up that chair, gotten on the table, which is very tipsy, just to hold the Apple TV remote. I mean, this kid is obsessed. I need to take him to counseling. I know. Don't judge me. I'm a good parent, I promise. Just kidding. He's great. So he, he's, he's developing kind of this, this fascination and this obsession with remotes. And he is actually on multiple times... Um, seen the remote, and the Apple TV remote, he's not allowed to play with. But there's been times where he's seen the remote, the Apple TV remote, and he just books it. He either goes for the table, or he goes for the countertop, or something, and I have to intercept it, right? I take it, and I go, and I sit back on the couch, and in order to hide it from him, I usually have to, like, stick it under my leg, right? And so I'm sitting there, and multiple times, I've grabbed it, sorry bud, can't play with that, stuck it under my leg, Well, then Rush, after a couple minutes, comes to me, and he, you know, his little cute little body and his beautiful face, he, like, walks up to me, and he reaches his arms out to me. I'm like, oh, man, and these are the moments that you live for in parenthood. makes me want to cry just thinking about it, but he's, like, reaching his little arms out to me. I'm like, yes, he wants me to hold him, and so I pick him up, and I sit on the couch with him, and he's resting his little head against my chest, and we're cuddling, and, and he's, he's just embracing me, and I'm like, yes, man, this is the joy of parenthood. This is amazing. I love these moments so much, and then I feel his arm 
just shuffle down my body, grab the TV remote, and book it and run off. I'm like, I'm used. I feel violated. Ah, oh, this is terrible. My 16-month-old is using me. Ah, oh, what a broken world this is. And and it's and in the moment I have to laugh because I'm like, that's just smart, man. Like, good for you. You're just using that strategic mind of yours. I love it. But at the same time, it's actually kind of heartbreaking. Because I have this moment with my son where he's, he, I feel like he wants me, just me. And I feel like he wants to cuddle and, and, and draw close just to me and nothing else. And I'm the reason, you know, he's wanting to sit up here. But actually, it turns out that he was after something else all along. And it's kind of heartbreaking. And I wonder how often we do that in our relationship with God. How we say, okay, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to dig into this relationship with you because so that I can get dot, dot, dot. So that I can hear you about vocational clarity. So that you can provide me that smoking hot wife, because somehow all Christian guys just have hot wives. I don't get it. Saying this is you. Or I, I want to seek you so that I have success or so that I have fulfillment. And all the while, I wonder if we're breaking the heart of God because he says, no, I can give you all these things, but these are a byproduct of your true and loving relationship with me. Don't use me. There's so much more to this relationship than just you asking for things and me giving them to you. That's a slave. I'm not just going to tell you what to do and you do it so you, you can go off and spend your life involving yourself in things that you want, but come draw near to me. We can often use God as a means to our own purposes, but what does Romans eight fourteen through 16 say? You're no longer a slave. Your relationship with God is no longer marked by that. You are no longer marked simply by the doing and by getting the questions answered and by doing all that stuff, but you are a child of God. There is so much more to relationship with God than just hearing about vocational clarity. There's so much more than finding your calling. There's so much more than figuring out who you're going to marry or what degree you should go for. There is deep and rich and life-giving and peaceful and joyful relationship, communion with the Father. The very reason that Jesus Christ himself came and died for us. Not so that we could have clarity about our future. Not so that we can get our questions answered. Yes, that might happen. But the, the reason why he came was so that we could draw near to the Father and have authentic, life-changing relationship with him. So what are your motives? Why do you want to hear the voice of God? Why, why do you want to seek God? Why do you want to hear him speak to you? Is it to fulfill the desires of your heart and to get answers and to check off a box and say, great, I have clarity and vision now for my life, awesome? Or is it for relationship? And so often we can come to this topic and we're seeking the answers we want and seeking our direction, but that's using God as a means to our own end. That's saying, God, yes, you're in the equation, obviously, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you as a means to get what I want. Actually, the end goal is vision. The end goal is clarity. The end goal is that relationship. The end goal is that degree. But I want to argue that God, in his great love, refuses to be used as the means, but demands to be the end goal of our pursuits. 
God in his great, think about this for a second. God in his great and rich and jealous love for us refuses to be the means. He will not be put in second place. He refuses to share you. Because of his great love for you, he refuses to just be something that's put on the shelf, but he desires all of you. And yes, he desires to speak to us, and yes, he desires to use us, and yes, he desires us to step into our calling and vocation and all that stuff, but he desires a loving relationship, and he refuses to be the means, but demands to be the end goal. He's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last. He's the first thing our lives revolve around, and the last, the one who has the last and final say, he is the one whom our lives should revolve around. And what does that mean? That means that our primary desire in hearing the voice of God should not be ourselves and should not be the answers we're seeking, but should be rich and intimate relationship. And actually, it's, it's with this that when we're in this relationship with God, that's just, you know, answers will come when they come. You trust God. You're not after the auxiliary, secondary stuff, but you're just after the Lord. That's actually um, how we can hear rightly. And that's why, you know, started this topic with the motives. We can't hear rightly if we're just trying to hear what we want to hear. We can't come to God and say, okay, um, Lord, if you could speak to me about that marriage that I want to be in, No, God doesn't speak like that. That's us demanding our will and exuding our will upon God. But instead, we trust God. And we walk in relationship with him and we seek him. And he speaks in that. And so when we come to God and when we enter into this pursuit of seeking his voice, we first must start with the relationship. And not with the answer. And not with the clarity. And not with all these questions that we have. But we first must come to him pure-hearted. And I think many of us feel discouraged and frustrated in our relationship with God. And we want to hear his voice, but we're, we're mad about not hearing it more. And I think it's because our motives are wrong. Why are you seeking it? Why do you want to hear his voice? And here's the kicker. When we have true relationship with God, then God will speak what he wants to speak when he wants to speak it. You can trust God in his goodness and in his love and in his faithfulness to not withhold an answer from you when you really need it. But we feel like we need it so often and we go for it. But God, in, when you're in relationship with your creator, God will be faithful to speak. And it may not be when you want him to speak, but it'll be the right time. And you'll look back decades over your life, even five years over your life, and say, wow, yeah, that was the right time. If I would have known that before, I would have blown it. But there's something about the timing of the Lord that's perfect. And then when we're, when we're there, think about that. Our relationship with God isn't ridden by emotional turmoil because we're trying to force an answer. And, and it's not us just, God, give me an answer. Give me an answer. I, I need you to speak to me about this and speak to me about this and, and, and show me this. But it's, Lord, you're going to speak when you want to speak. And now suddenly this relationship with you isn't so arduous. And it's not something that... I feel like I have to hear something, but you're, you're going to be faithful to speak. So in this series, yes, we're going to get to the motives. Sorry, the methods. We're going to get to the how-tos. We're going to talk shop and get in the nitty-gritty, right? We're going to talk about how exactly we hear the voice of God practically, but before that, we must first assess the motives of our hearts and answer the why. So this morning... As you look at your life, have you sought God's answer more than you have the relationship with him? Has God's guidance and God's word been your God? 
Actually, that's kind of idolatry, wouldn't you say? Yes, though the Lord speaks it and though it proceeds from him, any gift that God gives to us and we make it something that's God, that's idolatry. So have you looked for the answer? Have you sought that so much that you've neglected the simple and pure and rich relationship with your father? Are you seeking God to get something out of him for an answer? Have you sought God on your own terms? through your own agenda, wanting something, a particular circumstance to be done. So the invitation is to lay down for all of us. We all have this in some way, shape, or form. To lay down our secondary motives and to surrender and to just say, Abba, I go to you because I love you. And if you speak to me about my future and if you speak to me about what you have for me, then great. But if not, that's not my end goal. Those things are the means in which I know you more and I grow in relationship with you. And so us laying down our secondary means and saying, God, you are first and you are last and you are final and you are all in all. That's how we begin to hear the voice of God. So let's respond and let's take a second and let's pray. I want you to just posture yourselves and Let's assess the state of our heart and where we are in our lives and come to God and just be real for a second. And if you need to repent, if you need to say sorry, and if you need to turn away from some deep-seated desires that have overrun your relationship with God, then do it. Abba, Father, We are no longer slaves. We have no longer received the spirit of slavery. God, where we're scared about you lashing out on us. God, where you've given us these rules that crush us and we have to do them in order to gain your favor and your approval. But Lord, we are children of God. God, your endless and limitless and boundless love saturates us. We're caught up in your love for us, oh God. And right now we repent and we say, Father, we are sorry. Abba, we repent. Would you cleanse us? Would you give us clean hands and a pure heart? Would you renew a steadfast spirit in us? God, we're sorry for the times that we viewed the calling or we viewed the answer or we viewed the the intervention as the final, as the thing, as the end goal. But God, you are the end goal. God, you are the prize of our salvation. Lord, nothing compares to you. We love you. And we ask that you would do your deep work in us, God. Uproot the things that may not please you. Uproot the motives of our hearts so that we may hear you clearly. And I pray that as we discuss, Lord, you would do good things in us. I pray that you would cause the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be pleasing to you. And would you bless this time when we give it to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, a lot to talk through. Um, Discuss with your tables, and uh, we'll pick this up in a few minutes. Much love. All right, everybody. Give some final thoughts, some closing remarks and ideas. I want to end with this before we do our benediction together. Um, I want to do all I can to shatter the paradigm that the majority of the things God speaks is directional. Um, Because if we truly 
go to God in relationship as a father. I think you'll find throughout this series and throughout your lives as you go to God that the vast majority of the time he speaks is not directional. And it's not him saying, you do this, but it's the words of a father, Abba Father, I love you. I know you blew it, but I'm here. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to encourage you. It's the words of a father guiding us through life. And yes, those times when we ask the Lord about direction and he gives it to us, those are great. But those are the rarity. Those are the exception, not the norm. And so as we embark on this series and starting next week as we really talk about hardened methods that we put in place and hard uh, and fast ways that the Lord speaks, I want us to um, step outside the box of our thinking and realize that hearing God speak is not necessarily directional. It can be a number of different ways. And we're going to see that play out throughout the series. But I just, I wanted to end with that thought because I think that's important and a good framework from which we now go by for the remainder of the series. So let's, uh, let's stand and do our benediction. And this morning, our benediction is not a passage of scripture, but it's a prayer that the church has been praying for hundreds of years. It's a liturgical prayer, a prayer that um, is uh, usually prayed in the morning by the church. And, uh, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving for his word. So let's, let's pray this together out loud and, and um, together. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light upon our paths, and a strength to our lives. Take us and use us to love and serve all people in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.